don't have an intro. We're just gonna wing it. Here it goes. It's our best material. Yes, that is when we shine best is when we're just winging it. Welcome to yet another Meet the DMs interview with uh, your six favorite nerds. Um, this week we are interviewing Amber, who I have a little note here, probably the most professional of the DMs. Um, professional in, in like credits only, not in behavior. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not, yeah, none of us qualify for that one. Amber, if you'd like, uh, in, introduce yourself as you would uh, if somebody were to uh, ask, what, what's, what's your deal? All right, so I, I'm Amber. Um, I have been playing RPGs starting with Dungeons and Dragons 3.5 back in middle school for over 18 years now. Um, wow. And I quickly started DMing after that. I think I was only just a player for maybe a year or two before I jumped right in and started DMing quite a few games. Um, I have a degree in writing popular fiction from St. Hill University, so stories have always moved me. And uh, that's something that I have pursued, uh, pursued professionally and academically. Um, and I also have my MLIS in libraries, uh, in libraries, uh, MLIS is a master's in library and information studies. So um, I'm a librarian. I'm the head of information services at the Westwork Public Library, where I bring my passion for RPGs and writing uh, into my career and into my community. I organize a lot of tabletop RPG programs for adults and teens alike. We actually have more adults involved in RPG programming right now, which surprises a lot of my uh, colleagues in other libraries that it's not just a kid thing. Adults actually love this stuff. And it's one of the few ways adults can- Adults kind of want to play people. games. Yeah, adults can kind of meet new people that's like not at a bar and find common interests and just make friends. True. Um, so I that's a, that's a constant joy in my daily work. Um, and I've built quite a large RPG collection. It's the largest in the state at my library. So if you're ever in Rhode Island, uh, either just visiting or you happen to live here, do check out our RPG collection. Yeah. You can find quite a few gems there and they are all for the borrowing. Yeah, actually, you touched on a lot of things I'm going to hit in my questions as we go on. But, Fantastic. Um, yeah, we're, we're going to actually, you know what, we're just going to dive right into um, basically the timeline you just laid out for us. Um, so you said you got started uh, in 3.5 ED&D um, yep. when you were in middle school. Yeah, because 3.5 came out, what, early 2000s, I want to say? Um, yep, so that, that, was my, that was my version. Yep. Um, it was uh, the art teacher um, at the middle school actually started running a DD and d program for way, honestly, way too many middle schoolers. That's there was like awesome. 11 of us that would show up sometimes and like he didn't really know what he was doing. and We didn't really know what we were doing, but we had a great time. That's chaos and, um, in the best way. Yep. And I actually uh, started going to that because my uh, one of my best friends at the time, Kyle, had a he had gone and gotten into it and he bought the player's handbook. And then he was like, hey, come to this thing. And I was looking at the player's handbook and I saw um the druid art in the oh. five players handbook with the wolf yep. and like I fucking love wolves like I write werewolf stories I write werewolf books I'm like anything wolfy is like my gem and I was like oh shit I can be that and that and I just never went back <laughs> honestly yeah I think uh Sarah has talked about this too and it definitely hooked me when I first started getting into it like the artwork really does sell people you know um and it's funny as somebody who loves indie RPGs and I've been like designing all these games you go online and people are like, don't worry about the art. If the game is good, it'll sell itself. But like, really, let's be honest, art gets people hooked. It and they make draws people, people in. Yeah, um, I agree. Like, I, and I was with uh, Sarah where like the iconic for the Druid, who I think um, was like a little, I, I know the Pathfinder one is like a little gnome girl. Yeah, the um, um, 3.5 one is uh, 
elf for half elf i believe yeah i think so too yeah my was it miley key anyway um that's a god or goddess yeah it's anyway like vadana or vadana or something like that yeah um do you remember <laughs> so was your first pc a druid with a wolf is that how you yep. about it yeah absolutely first first <laughs> ever rpg character is a druid with a wolf <laughs> me too and your brother killed my and wolf. i died but the wolf lived in one of my earliest games opposites look at yeah. that <laughs> um that's awesome so you remember that you remember how it all started uh yeah, I know this is an episode about you, but um, people, we joke about Blissbot often. People probably know that you and Troy are brother and sister. How did you get Troy into it? Did you just drag him in one day and just go like, you're playing nerd? Uh, Troy's my, Troy's uh, my younger brother. He's younger uh, brother. three-ish years younger than me. Um, Was also kind of friends with my friend's group. We were a little bit older, so sometimes he was like the annoying little brother and it would be like, mom's like you have to include your brother don't bring your play brother with your brother and we're like ah sometimes sometimes he was cool but sometimes he was irritating but we basically had to play with him at that point um, gotcha. and he he took to dnd like even harder than me like he was memorizing yeah. at one point like troy like young young like 10 years old you could be like beholder he'd be like this many hit points this much ac this page this for fortitude sake like he just memorized monster stat blocks which was <laughs> which oh, was useful God. for if you if he was like a DMing aide, but very unuseful if you were trying to surprise him with anything in the game. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I actually have a note about something similar to that because I believe I obviously met Troy, and Troy was one of the first people to run D and D for me because of his friendship with my brother in law Ed, um, and. I think we met Amber. I could be wrong about this, but I believe we met at a mutual friend's house to play like a 3.5. It was supposed to be a campaign. It ended up being like two sessions. Yeah, it was um, at Dylan's house. I was going to say, yeah, I didn't want to yeah, name I, drop I, I recall that as our first meeting as well. <laughs> yes, so we In met person, at Dylan's. I saw you around high school, but... <laughs> and I remember being... Uh, a newbie who played with like Troy and he just let us build not great characters and coming in and you and your friends, I don't want to... This isn't in a negative way, but you guys were like power gamers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're very, just definitely, um, didn't try to be hostile toward the PCs directly, but could, I can see how that would be intimidating for somebody brand new to the game. We're just like this, this, that, that tactic is like. Yeah. I remember, <laughs> I remember Dylan was like, we're making level one characters. And I was like, okay, I just like made it out of the box. Like, I don't know. I'm going to play like a warlock or whatever. And you guys were like, Actually I have a the starter pack on the stat yeah. block. Like, I'll just take that. <laughs> yeah. And you guys were like, I have a 22 AC plus eight. <laughs> and they were just like, okay, I can chain trip and cause attack. And it was like, what is, ha I was like, what is happening right now? Oh, the but, tripping that's, yeah, that's my husband right there. I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. That was exactly, I think that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, is um, a go-to. <laughs> so, yeah, and like, so now I have to ask because you recently ran Bluebeard's Bride coming up. Um, uh, the series after what we're currently playing and what this will air in the middle of, which is Christian's Invisible Sun game, you're going to be running under Hollow Hills. Yes. Um, so um, how has your journey evolved from, you know, Power Gaming 3.5, which was the game, really, that was 3.5 edition D&D, &D, but how has it evolved from... How's your journey and relationship with RPGs changed from that time to becoming part of your career with the library and finding these other games and maybe more story-based? Because I know you you yeah. do like that. Yeah, so I would say I definitely started more as a power gamer. There was the learning curve at first where I wasn't very good at D&D &D, and then I became very good at D&D um, and did a little bit of power gaming myself. I was never quite as good as my brother. He was a very, you would never guess it now with his weird builds that are not necessarily optimized and whatnot, but he was an intense power gamer. In he was. Yeah. Um, 
and my husband, who is still very much an intense power gamer and the bane of my existence. (laughs) Um, I do still occasionally enjoy a good power game once in a while on a good trip, especially um, in a campaign where you have like a really good villain and you just want to absolutely humiliate them like Strahd. I I was going to say, you recently told us, you recently (laughs) told us about your plans in your Curse of Strahd campaign, which I was like, ooh, that's old Amber. Yeah, I've got I've got intense plans in my Curse of Strahd game, and it is it is made possible by my proclivity for power gaming in that case. Like Strahd is he is a bitch. You don't know darkness. I am the boss, <laughs> and this will be made clear in our last session. <laughs> Wait, hold on. So we 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 have Catherine Ives fuck the devil. I'm Catherine Ives. We have uh, your character from Invisible Sun, which was fuck your order. I'm an apostate, and I will eat you. And now now we have Amber's Strahd. Like you, you got that. You know. I love. Oh. Hold on. I love to put a certain type of establishment or character in its place. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I do occasionally dabble in that now, but I have uh, my tastes and styles have matured as I have grown. Um, I would say that I did D&D pretty solidly for many years before I even started playing something else. And the next anything other than D&D was Pathfinder, which is based on the same system. It's very yeah. similar. It made a couple things um, easier, Pathfinder one. Uh, and kind of combine some common sense things and has a bit more flexibility. So I was enjoying the flexibility in Pathfinder mm-hmm. with some new options and whatnot. Um, and then after that, my home group just sort of occasionally picked up kind of some old school games. We did uh, uh, some Savage Worlds, uh, okay. some Deadlands, yeah. um, just a couple sessions here and there. They never really they never really stuck like our long D&D campaigns before they fell apart. But I did start getting introduced to games outside of that um through my home group there um and it wasn't until it wasn't until I started I actually started bringing RPGs to the library and really getting involved in it professionally that I really started intentionally going out there seeking new games and learning about them um, yeah and playing them and just expanding the horizons because um a I did burn out on D&D and Pathfinder D&D 3.5 and Pathfinder it's it's great at what it does yeah it's it, they are power fantasies, you know. Oh, we lost you. Again yes, a it bit. is. It delivers very specific. Wiser. I had different themes and ideas I wanted to explore RPGs, and there are just so many more games that lend themselves to that, like Bluebeard's Bride. Yep. I'm a big horror buff. I love exploring dark spaces and dark things and traumas and whatnot. So there, there are better games for that for sure. Uh, so I've really enjoyed that. Also, um, in my work as a librarian, diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice are very important in all aspects of my job. So seeking other games from creators not traditionally represented with themes and inclusion that's not traditionally represented in RPGs is very important. So um, I actively look for games by people of color, by the LGBTQIA creators that feature themes and characters and content with, with those elements. Um, both to bring to my community and I just enjoy them myself too <laughs> yeah to experience those yeah like points of view and and get their experiences get their uh the, the stories they want to tell it, it really is refreshing to come from something like a D&D where like you basically know I'm gonna be a hero I'm gonna be a bad guy I'm gonna beat up whatever's in my way and then there are these other games that are like or yeah, tell D&D, a different kind of story D&D doesn't do ambiguity very well it does a traditional no. hero story very well but ambiguity um whether that is moral or ethical or like just ambiguity of like setting and situation uh is not its strong point yeah i mean alignment in the old editions evil meant evil like you know what i mean like it there was no reg- yeah, i don't even use alignment in my D games like at all anymore yeah. really like it's just it's not a good measure of 
who exactly. anybody is. <laughs> um, so actually this leads well into, I kind of had an A and a B under how's your journey change. What do you think RPGs, beyond being a game that people play to have fun, what do you think they, what potential do you think they have? What can they do that people might not realize? So I am always um, a big proponent of RPGs uh, and how they, because I'm a librarian and I bring them there, how they align with library missions. So RPGs support oh. literacy efforts. Uh, that's a big one that I that I pitch to all of my colleagues in the library field and sources of funding. Um, people get into these games and then they have to read the books and then they like to read the books and then they want to see, oh my gosh, there are series and novels out there. And then they get into something like Dritz and then they're like 40 books into the films. And uh, these could be people who are very resistant to reading have never read a novel in their life. And this happens all the time. So it's a great gateway drug to adventure and fantasy and novels and reading. Wow. Uh, See, that's funny. I've never thought of it as that simple of a thing. I'm always like, oh, yeah. you know, it's about putting yourself in someone else's shoes, put it, doing all this stuff. But I never even thought about the bare basics of you're going to have to read a book and you're going to find a lot of a lot of RPGs will have sources of inspiration. And like you, people might go grab and read those books. And they I, do. A percentage of them awesome. definitely do. Uh, there's also mathematics involved in D&D. Yep. Uh, and that is something that even uh, children who are maybe struggling in a traditional educational setting and are not getting the attention that they need to engage them in academics if they take a shine to an RPG, suddenly they're invested in being good at it. And that just having an investment and a drive, they they excel suddenly. Like they are learning about the math. They are caring about the tactics. They're mapping things out. They're thinking ahead. They're coordinating with their peers. That's yep. the other thing. There's a large social element. It helps develop social skills. It helps develop empathy, which yep. is kind of what you mentioned there with putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. RPGs are a great tool for developing empathy, especially if you are willing to try a variety of them and to play like different characters in different situations rather than the same sort of hero wish fulfillment thing over and over again. Yep. Awesome. Um, and just they build community. That's the other thing. Like I at the library all the time, I have tables of complete strangers. They come together. They sign up for a library program. They don't know who's going to be there. They don't know me, but they sit down. We start an adventure. It's awkward in the beginning usually a strange a table full of strangers some of them like not really knowing what rpgs are but you get a few sessions in and these people are becoming friends they're sharing memes online they have contact information they're going places outside of the library and they've just built a they've built a community organically through through this one common interest which is amazing (laughs) yeah it really is like you said it's such a cool thing to have a program like this at the library where you can go play a game with people meet people common interests that's not like a bar that's not like because like what what do adults do like that's not like going golfing you know like that's not... and the library is a very safe space compared to traditional gaming spaces too um a lot of traditional yeah. gaming stores where you would find a game are very safe now but yeah they sometimes have their... they have a very insular clientele there's it's it's a club it's very tight-knit it's a club of certain kinds of people and there's not a lot of diversity in it mm-hmm. um and it can be intimidating for women for lgbtqia people for people of color To walk into a setting like that and just sit down at a table. Oftentimes that's a barrier that has kept them out of the hobby. But a library, all kinds of people utilize the library. We make active efforts to include people. So people who are already library users, they've never played an RPG before, but they're comfortable in the library. They've come here for all kinds of programs. They've done crafts with us. They've done children's story times. They've done walking book clubs. So why not try this new thing? They know that the staff is going to be friendly, welcoming, and inviting, and the space is safe. Um, so it seems to be more accessible in that way to new players. That's awesome. Um, so as you've rolled this into part of your job, part of your livelihood, part of your mission, and you know, 
how much do you play? Like, do you play? Because uh, I know we play bi-weekly. I know you have your Strahd game. I know you run another game. Like, how much are you playing? I play a fuck ton of RPGs, Rainy. I play too many. I actually, I actually, I literally do play too many. Um, it's kind of cut into some of my other uh, interests that I really, really have to get back to and cut some time out for because they are important, like my writing. Okay. Um, but I, I am literally involved in probably like six or seven campaigns. Wow. Like actively all the time. I play, I don't play, I, it's easier to say I don't play D&D on Mondays. And I don't play an RPG on Mondays and Sundays. Those are the only two days a week that I'm not playing at least one RPG. Wow. <laughs> this has just become my life. <laughs> Some of those are, one of those is at work. I have a bi-weekly Curse of Strahd game. Uh, a lot of those are outside of work, cobbled in among my spare time. <laughs> um, but it is, it is a lot. I love it. I'm addicted to it. It's hard for me to put stuff down. I do need to get back to my novel eventually. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, yeah. It shouldn't get in the way of real life. That out but... one way or another. <laughs> oh, that's all. I mean, a lot of people would say they're very jealous of that though. You know? Um, I, have a, I, I have a great job in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. That's so great. Um, so you were just talking about how you are also a writer, um, you know, because that's something you are a librarian by day, but like, you know, you want to write, you got a degree for writing. You've been published before. Um, yep. I have a short so. story. Published um, with a Scary Dairy Press in the monstrous feminine anthology of women horror writers. Go it's check that cool. out. Check it out. Yeah. Um, I'm also, I'm the co-director of the Westward Public Library Press. So I am an editor and publisher professionally as well. I, I have a tendency to take hobbies and things that I love personally and just like make them library things, which has been working very well for me. Um, so we publish anthologies of marginalized um, and underrepresented people. And uh, I'm working on two at the same time right now, which is taking... Between that and the RPGs, like every ounce of my creative energy is exhausted every week. I have not touched my book in so long, <laughs> but oh. I will figure it out. <laughs> so you are uh, obviously well-read, well-written. Uh, I want to ask because people find inspiration for gaming from very different places. Um, for example, my wife and I binge a ton of TV shows. Like we are series just devourers. Um, and basically we'll be watching a TV show and I just like pull up my phone and have a little notes thing. And I'm like, this would make a cool encounter or like, oh, this is just a neat NPC build or whatever. Um, what are the biggest sources of inspiration for you when it comes to RPGs, either playing as a character or developing games, uh, you know, that you're writing on your own or things like that? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, that's a pretty, actually, that's a broad answer because I, I yeah. get inspiration from very different places for di very different elements of RPGs, right? Okay. So um, I get a lot of inspiration for like encounters, ideas, NPCs, that sort of like DMing level material from books that I read. Mm -hmm. um, I don't get a ton of it from things that I watch, although I do, I do watch some TV and I love, I love what I do watch. I don't watch a ton of it, um, but I definitely tend to pull more from what I read. I also get a lot of inspiration both for characters and for DMing things from playing in other games with other DMs. Yeah. Uh, Gen Con is hugely instrumental to me in my DMing ability and my character creating ideas. I go to Gen Con, I play at tables with complete randos with games that I have no idea how to play and whatnot. And I come back with like ideas. That's um, awesome. So that's, that's really cool. Uh, conventions are, are a boon to me in that way. And I, I recommend them. They can be a little hard to get into or intimidating if you're an introvert, um, which I'm kind of, I, I would consider myself in the middle of often introverted but I can join a social situation you know um but it's it's worth it uh, to just take that jump I also um honestly a lot of what drives me in actually my writing and 
my character creating and story crafting in RPGs is uh, are things that make me upset or angry in the world. Oh yeah. Um, I'm 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 driven by rage in a lot of ways. <laughs> you I don't, don't know say. if you can tell that from some of my yeah. characters. And whatnot. You don't say. But um, I like everyone who is not living under a rock, see a lot of inequity, injustice, and just like terribleness in the world around me um, and in the systems it within the world around me. And RPGs are a place to express yourself, to rally against those things or to explore traumas in a, in a safe environment. So I explore personal trauma a lot in RPGs. Um, Bluebeard's Bride was very cathartic for me in that way. Um, all that came from deep places and it was it was nice to be able to share that with people that I trusted mm-hmm. and to feel like at the end of the game, they came out of it with a perspective that could understand me and my experience a little bit better. Um, and that's kind of a magical thing in RPGs. Yeah, that's powerful. So a lot of the time, some of my best ideas will come, like I'll read something about something that happened, horrible thing, like a Brock Turner kind of thing on Facebook and just be like, what the fuck? And then mm-hmm. like, I'm just incensed with rage and I have to do something about it. And then I think of a story. Or a character. Yeah. And I'm like, we're going to do something in this medium. We're going to explore this. I'm going to, I'm going to vent these feelings. I'm going to share them with others. Um, And in small ways, uh, we'll learn a little bit from it. Yeah. Explore it. And like, yeah. uh, In a fictional, you know, uh, version of, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. That's definitely, we can also find that under things that RPGs can do, right? Like they can allow you to explore those um, tough conversations in a yeah and they are being used in different forms of therapy now um and that's starting to become a trend there are there are gaming therapists uh where you can though for uh everyone from people with on the autism spectrum um mm-hmm. or neuro neurodivergent people there are trained therapists who use rpgs as a way to help them explore uh the, the way they process the world and to build mm-hmm. tools and skills um to I'm sure I'm sure I know there's plenty of application just in personal therapy too and processing trauma um, for yourself and people that you love. Yeah, it's really interesting to do like a couples RPG therapy. I think that, that I feel like that is an unexplored area as of now, but you know someday maybe. You know what's funny in psychology. <laughs> we we've all joked about. I know Sarah's joked about it because her and her partner uh play games and then my wife and I obviously play games and you and your husband play games and um we always have like jokes like my wife and Mike whenever we play in campaigns together as players it's like not that we're antagonistic but like she's like I don't have to I don't have to deal with you right now you know what I mean like uh, (laughs) so we always have these very funny interactions but um you're right like it'd be funny to actually just sit down and be like as a couple like explore stuff in a game setting <laughs> you know? yeah, and create something together we're gonna make yeah. a story together I yeah. try all the time to get my wife to help me play test like my many dumb game ideas and she's always just like rainy <laughs> separation <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah um, our group kind of split down that way like I like three of us have gaming partners and then the rest of us don't uh yeah. either because their partners are just like you nerd <laughs> or, they, or they do not have a partner at this time <laughs> yeah my wife's kind of in the middle she's like I will play but I am not <laughs> you know what I mean? like I'm not she's like I'll play you know casually as a yeah. normal well-adjusted human right this is one of many hobbies <laughs> exactly yeah she's like this is not like you love this um all right so let's see here um I got a few more questions and then we'll just start winging riffing it um 
what is have you because like you said you go to gen con i'm really hoping that the dms after dark we can go to like a con together sometime you know what i mean um just because you know all of us gaming together and or bringing each other oh i was just at this table look at this um but also you know hand stuff out let people know about us um but at things like conventions and through the library and games that you found is there a genre or trend something you'd like to see more in role-playing games um that you feel like maybe is you've seen like once or twice or is is on the rise or something like that um um i do know that last gen con i went to a big thing that i noticed was even from i went to 2019 gen con and i went to last year's gen con um and obviously there was something happened in 2020 something Something happened happened. (laughs) um but during that gap i noticed a a visible difference in the diversity in the RPG offerings in the vendor room. Um, uh, there was there were more indie creators. There were more a lot more queer indie creators, mm-hmm. uh, and there were a lot more RPGs featuring uh, creators of color and and settings that were like non Western, non colonial. Mm-hmm. So I love that. I love that that managed to boom, and I love that they managed to boom in such a a dark and insular time. Uh, they they uh, you can't keep you can't keep people down. In yeah. some ways, people have a passion and they they just need an opportunity and then they do incredible things with it. So I really love um, how platforms, I think like Kickstarter too and Patreon have, oh. Moment. Have, a lot, have made publishing a lot more accessible to people who are out through gatekeeping. Um, so, so I think that that is fantastic and some really great things have come from it and I want to see that continue to grow. I would really love to see um, kind of better resourced publishers kind of mm-hmm. wake up a little bit and start investing in these people and like stop being such gatekeeping <laughs> gatekeeping dragons uh and uh invest in some of these new indie creators voices and making sure that people of color lgbtqi people women get in on the creation of games at all levels so editorial art like mm-hmm. story creation production administration like it's great to have like one woman like writer or so like women writing, but like if they're not and if the, and people of color and LGBTQIA people, but if they're not at every level, then there's there's that's still being kept out and the material is yeah. gonna it's gonna reflect that. Um so I think that is the trend that I have noticed that that has boomed and it's boomed of their own hard work with their own two hands in the indie community. I would love to see the resources that large publishers have actually be utilized toward that instead of just kind of trying to layer in more diversity in pre-existing products to just be like, Hey, this is a product that somebody who's not cis and white made. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? We're going to get behind it. Like was the coast just going to get behind that new thing or something? I yeah. Think- I know they've done a little bit of um, hiring out like consulting people, uh, you know what yeah. I mean? Like um, for cultural stuff and um and whatnot in the past, but I know they've also had a, a big turnaround on those people, which is like frustrating, right? Um, that, that, that's indicative of something, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, and and it's frustrating to find great games, but like you have to go into something like an itch.io or deep down in the drive-through RPG independent, you know, p- publishers and find these people just doing this themselves, and they're making these amazing products, but big companies, uh, just and they see- have limited reach too, and that's the thing about how amazing yeah. the product is, like. it takes money to do a lot of these indie publishers just don't have yeah and they won't and big companies won't take chances on them because that all they see is how many products will this sell how many units can i move and it's frustrating 
Yeah. One more trend that I have observed um, is the impact of technology on RPGs, um, mm. especially COVID kind of, COVID gave that like a big acceleration. Um, a lot of people that were playing just with their home groups uh, around the table are, had to, had to use Roll20 and Zoom or Discord or um, Fantasy Grounds yep. to, to keep their game going. And uh, th- there's obviously a trade-off. There's something to be said for sitting around a table in person with your friends, but there's also something to be said for that's not accessible to all kinds of people. People yeah. have kids, people have trouble traveling, um, people need assistive technologies. Uh, so that's opened a lot of doors for people to join the gaming community and to make games possible around hectic and crazy schedules. So I think that is going to continue to evolve. And I would really like to see technology get invested in more indie games too. Like D&D kind of has the market cornered. It's got D&D Beyond, which is honestly a fantastic tool. It's super easy to use. It's super searchable. It makes accessing tons of material very, very easy and fast. Um, but so many other games out there could benefit from, from a resource like that, an app like that. Yeah. So, um, I think then- that will happen eventually like seeing it happen sooner rather than later. <laughs> yeah, it's a bummer because like that puts a lot of coding onus on small press publishers, yeah. right? And that, that's a lot of money or time to just pour into something. I will say uh, there is a really great uh, virtual tabletop you did not mention and I will vouch for, which is Foundry VTT. I have heard of it. Yeah, um, I bought it. It's amazing. Um, and what's cool about that is that it is community coded and driven so if people are playing a game and someone wants to they can code in all of these tools that you can use then you just search for them i think they're called modules um and uh, basically you go and you download it for the game and all of a sudden you have a very easy to use just pull into the game drag and drop and then it uh, it throws this thing in there so it could be as simple as like physical dice rolling you know like virtual dice rolling or um targeting or whatever like it's really really cool um Awesome. This community, the game community is incredible. Like people just make stuff. They make stuff at incredible rates and levels. Oftentimes they make it just out of like the fact that they want the item and it's not out there. So they're like, I guess I have to make it. And they step up and their generosity with willingness to share it too. Yeah. Um, Which by the way, please support creators in any way that you absolutely can. Even material that is free. If it's like pay what you want, give them something like that. Oh, or, you know, get it, play it. If you love it, go back, give the money, get, keep, yep, leave get, reviews. Join. Yeah. <laughs> like, reviews are huge. Uh, hey, if you like DM Sister Dark, maybe you should uh, go and review us on whatever podcast app or <laughs> thumbs us up on YouTube or whatever. Um, because it does, it just, it, it makes us more visible to people. And then you reach more people um, and opportunities spread from there, really. Um, like we're talking about, it's, such a good community role-playing games you know when you get beyond the uh the big monster in the room (laughs) (laughs) um okay let's see i'm going to move on to questions i was given either by fans or other dms of the group uh oh boy (laughs) yeah some, some fun things to just toss out there um here's one uh i was told specifically to ask this amber what's your favorite magic item Ah, uh, yes. Okay, so the this is a Dungeons and Dragons magic item, but it could be a magic item anywhere with a little creativity and elbow grease. So the immovable rod. Right. Right? Choice. I know you probably wouldn't expect it. You think I want like a staff of power or something I can use to like just commit excessive violence. <laughs> but you know what? The immovable rod can do that too. It can. <laughs> so the immovable rod is such a versatile item and you can get up to so much fuckery with that item. 
it is it is bound only by your imagination. I have done amazing things with it. I have I have killed a Ramorhes by provoking it to swallow me and then deploying the rod in its throat. That was fantastic. I have sunk slave ships <laughs> by sneaking into the hull and then deploying the rod and it just tears right through that. It's a great whole yeah. pack of boats. I love this thing so much. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fantastic item. I make a point to like have that item somewhere in like every game that I possibly can because I want to see what other people will do with it too. Yeah. <laughs> it gives me new ideas, boundless opportunities. If you have a great thing you've done with an immovable rod or an idea for it, do share it with me. I want to know. <laughs> I've seen somebody say if you get two of them, you literally can climb or fly or whatever. You know what I mean? Because you yep, just straight up in the air. Just, <laughs> just keep going. And I love that too. Super funny. Um, yeah, that's a that's a great answer. Classic answer. Item. Versatile answer. Yeah, it, it rewards you know creativity. <laughs> Endless opportunity for fuckery. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's just keep going down the favorite uh, the favorite list. Um, I'm going to ask a question here uh, that I think has been asked once or twice already on this series, and I'm going to give it the A and B thing. What is your favorite word, and what is your favorite curse word? <laughs> Oh, shit, my favorite word. Oh no, my favorite. Or like word. what's what's a favorite word of yours? Like what's a good one? Mm, okay, you've you've, you've stumped me now. I know so Ooh. many words and I'm just this then all fled my mind right now, right? Yeah. Um Yeah, you're a little I, uh you're probably a bit more uh <laughs> I'm like running through a huge lexicon. Loquacious words, than yeah. than the rest of us who are just like, uh fuck. I, okay, so this is a word that I've liked since high school where I used it much more than I use it now. I like the word skew a lot. A Something skew? is a skew. A skew. <laughs> like just not quite right yeah. or where it should be. Yeah. So um, that's, that's, that's a classic for me. Um, okay. Some of my favorite words just in general are also swear words. So <laughs> I love fuck. Like that's, <laughs> it's literally one of the best words in, in the English language because it is so versatile, like literally you can put that word anywhere and the sentence will still make sense. You would can you express. Say, <laughs> would you say that fuck is the immovable rod of swear words? It is. It is. It is. Absolutely. It is completely versatile. You can use it for great good and you can use it for great evil. I love it. Oh, um, fuck can be used to express profound joy. It can be used in like a really, really powerful compliment. Like that is fucking amazing. Like when you, yeah. when, when you get a compliment with like a fuck in it, you're. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is going to pay off. Just like, damn, I awesome. Something down with that word. <laughs> I love it. That's yeah. a good answer. All right. And now, um, and now we're going to do a favorite and then, um, yeah. So do you, can you pinpoint your favorite moment from your DMing, GMing history? Um, like a moment where you look back and go like, that is going to be hard to top. Okay, so there's not, I'll just say straight up, there's not like a favorite one that's like right. impossible to decide. There's so many. Absolutely. There are a couple good ones though that I always recall um, and go back to. So one of them was in a D&D 3.5 Eberron campaign. Mm -hmm. um, my party was fighting, I was the DM in this one. My party was fighting the children of winter and they captured a few who had um, kidnapped one of the PC's wives. Uh, so this PC was like done with their shit. Like he was going to save his family and nothing was going to get in his way. So they tied a rope around this guy's ankle and they were like in this ravine and they were at the top. So he was like, how, how far down is the ravine? And I'm like, 
it's 75. I'm like, it's 75 feet. And he's like, all right, I, I feed out 70 feet of rope and tie it to this guy's ankle. I'm going to throw him over the edge. And I was, and then we paused for a minute. I was like, he's more than five feet tall. And we all just like, let that sit there. And we were like, <laughs> looking over the edge and he looks at the next guy and the next guy is just like I'll talk I'll talk <laughs> that, like these people can't do math <laughs> um so that that's a classic hilarious moment oh that's um, funny I'll talk because they can't do math <laughs> they they literally cannot be like nobody intended we intended that to come close to him to be you know a good scare but yeah. didn't take into account that headspace there yeah, yeah right <laughs> um, that was great um I We'll never stop ragging on Jess about that time she set the orphanage on fire. Hey, uh, that is- you know, <laughs> those those moments live in some form of infamy as well. That is a classic, classic Jess move. One of my PCs recently in my library, Curse of Strahd, game did something. Oh. Very interesting with, uh, so uh, they fought the witches, defeated the witches. They were working on the brooms. Um, got got a couple of them down and then one of them was like i'm gonna make a persuasion attempt on this broom like and what proceeded to happen was the most unexpected thing ever like i just i was like okay this is interesting i'll see where it goes i'm like you can try like we'll see what you get and he both like really good he was a squashbuckler rogue and i was like all right the broom stops attacking it's watching you warily without its eyes because it doesn't have them so what proceeded to happen was this like this wild horse taming scene with this broom he like picked up some dust and like offered it to the broom like oats in his hand and like (laughs) and the broom like came forward all nervously and like he it allowed him to carefully like run his hand along the shaft of the broom and I was like describing and you can see that this broom has had a life you know there's some score marks in the wood the polish is worn in places but she's a good broom (laughs) so they they tamed a wild broom in Curse of Strahd which just like I would have never in a million years thought to do that and it was a fantastic scene I love it so much did you did you then reward them a a broom of flying is that like kind of yeah yep they get the broom the broom is with them it is a companion her name is Broomhilda oh they still have her uh she recently she recently was instrumental in letting the rogue almost like just just escape by the skin of his teeth a major ass kicking my strad so so that was good she's got his back (laughs) that's awesome yeah what a duo yeah. Um, all right. Other other side of that coin. Can you remember or what is a DM mistake that lives rent free in your mind that like you just can't shake? Do you have one? Do you can you think of like a moment where you were just like, I didn't do that right or well or I should like just I should not have done that. Yeah, I should. I should not have done that. Hmm. Yeah, this has been one that I feel like has stumped all of us in a way, you know. Yeah, I mean, there have been uh so there have been some some fights that have broken out at my table. Oh yeah. Between the DM and players. I maintain that when I was involved in those fights, I was correct and the player was out of line. So I don't really consider it a mistake in my hand um, <laughs> on, on my end. But uh there have been there have been a couple ugly fights with uh power gaming or rules revolving around power rules gaming. Rules lawyering. lawyering. Just like, okay. okay, like, I understand what you're saying, but this is how I'm going to do it at my table. Yeah. Like, want to play, accept it. <laughs> like, I'm just like putting my foot down. Um, so that's turned ugly in a couple of places. I, my group um, used to have other people in it and it used to be quite toxic at one point. Oh yeah. So, um, so that there were some, there were some confrontations there that I, again, maintain were not my fault. Um, there also have been, um, 
sessions, I know some sessions that I've run with players who are very quiet um, and maybe uh, they're not, they're not really good at kind of taking the lead in things. Um, and sometimes I'll think back in hindsight, uh, it'll come to me. I'll be like, ah, this would have been a good opportunity to engage this person's character maybe yeah. here if I had done that. And then like, but I missed it. I missed the opportunity. I was, I was throwing leads out there and a couple of the louder players were taking them and the quieter players weren't. And I'd yeah. try to pull the quieter players in, but the way I was doing it wasn't quite effective and they didn't get enough spotlight. And then after the session ends, I'll be like, I could have done this with their character and story specifically, and that would have worked. Ah, so I that definitely has occurred a few times in my experience. Yeah, it could be tough to spotlight for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. I think we're probably coming up on this might be the last question. Um, so in your mind, what's your what constitutes a successful session or campaign or story like what in your mind are the the things you're aiming to achieve when you play a game one of the things that i measure uh, the success of a game by most of all probably more than any other element is the party dynamics Mm -hmm. if i can run a game or a session that creates that creates good fun genuine party dynamics between all the characters in the party um and everybody is invested in each other's characters and they have like um, different feelings toward each other, but they're all engaged in playing those out and seeing where those go. Uh, that is the hallmark of success in my book. That's more important than how their interaction with the actual plot and NPCs and bad guy and stories go, um, because your party's with you the whole time and and you're, they're more than likely your friends or they're people who are going to become your friends. So how you interact with them is a huge part of what makes RPGs rewarding. And if I can do that and I can pull the elements out of each other's characters that are really cool and show them to the rest of the group and the group bites, like that is so awesome. And it's Mm -hmm. so rewarding. And I'm just like, I sleep like a baby after this. I'm like, oh yeah, just sleeping on my laurels. (laughs) That, um, that actually is something we said in like one of our first modified roles episodes was like, there's nothing better as a DM than just watching your players play the game without you. Like just, yeah. yeah. And when they're so they're so into their characters and they're into each other's characters that they just always have something to do, even if nothing is going on. They're like, they're bringing it, they're like, ooh, this person has some trauma I can poke at. And they're genuinely interested in it. And then I'm just like, I sit back and I'm like eating popcorn. I'm like, fight, fight, fight. Or like make up. Like, I don't yeah. know, whatever happens, kiss. Like, I'm just like, I don't care. <laughs> it's just great. Yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful. I love it. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Uh, well, with that, which is an excellent answer, by the way, um, is there anything you want to add as we wrap up your interview, Amber? Anything you want to boost or just throw out? Just um, honestly, if you're listening to this and you've been inspired by anything that I've said, one of the greatest things that would make me most happy and proud of my impact in having done this today is if you go to your local library and you see if they have any D&D offerings, carry any D&D books or RPG books even, they'll most likely have D&D if they are. We're still working on broadening the horizons and libraries in general, but see if there's a group. And if there's not, if you have the time and the skills, see if they will host you to be a DM and run a game. Um, If you've been having trouble looking, finding a group either to run for or to play with, um, online, it can be really hard to get those games together and they're easy to fall apart because there's not a ton of investment. It's easy to not show up for something online that you've never met anyone at before. Mm-hmm. But if you go to the library and people actually like show up, they've, they've driven to the place um, and they've gotten together and they've seen each other and their faces in a room, um, they're more likely to come back. 
Yeah. Uh, so I really, really would encourage you to see what you can do about bringing gaming and your own interests and passions to your public library. Some of them, a few, even have money to pay DMs. <laughs> Not my library other than staff right now, but some libraries. Well, hey, and uh, actually, I don't know. It's usually what in November every year, but you have West Warwick on. Yes, so... we do. Uh, yep, our little, uh, our little West Warwick Public Library gaming convention uh, that has been online for two years in person. Only the one because of COVID, but we're hoping to be in person again this year. Um, and, and just slowly increase our offerings. We have multiple games being hosted by, honestly, mostly people from DMs After Dark at this point at the library. But we're growing our roster of volunteers wherever we can. Um, and we also do, we've done like a magic tournament. Um, we have uh, like video gaming, like mm-hmm. take Smash Brothers and whatnot. We have food truck pop by when it's in person. Um, so we just try to just try to host a day of fun and games at the library and see who from the community shows up. Yeah, we'll, uh, and we as DMs After Dark will post about that and everything. So, But if you watch these and like these and love what Amber's doing, which you should because it's an amazing uh, local program and hopefully, you know, your local area has something similar. Um, yeah, come come hang out with us. Play with us at West Warwick. Um, all right. So should we, should one of us attempt to the Sarah sign off? Thank you all for listening, folks. We are DMs After Dark doing our uh, Meet the DMs interview here featuring myself amber uh thank you so much for listening with us and hopefully uh taking away something that is inspiring or helpful to you um any feedback comments questions uh things that you've done with the immovable rod go ahead and drop us a comment uh you you can find us on facebook twitter shoot us an email uh we will we would love to hear about it and we'll probably talk about it on stream at some point that's one of the benefits of starting yeah. out small. We have time to dedicate to individual fans. <laughs> and we appreciate uh, every single one of you. <laughs> thank you for all your support. Take care. Have a good night.